Last week, the past two weeks, I've been talking a lot about identity in the Lord. How many of you were here two weeks ago when I talked about warfare on this side of the cross? Good. Let me ask this. How many of you weren't here two weeks ago when I preached on warfare this side of the cross? Oh, good. Not too, too many. Um, I got to put these together the past two weeks. Two weeks ago, I talked about warfare on this side of the cross and how the reality is, is we're not actually battling to win the fight. We're battling to sustain the victory. It's already been won. I looked at it from a perspective of this. If you were to take a football game, and one of our favorite football games is the Super Bowl, because it's, for me personally, I love the end of the Super Bowl. It's like all the little kids come out on the field, and uh, they come out, and they're wearing dad's hats hanging off their heads, and they're wearing these T-shirts down to their ankles, and all of a sudden, they've won, and their dad has won, and they get to come and be a part of the victory. That's a picture of what a New Covenant lifestyle is like. The game's already been won. We just have to enforce the victory. But how many know the other team still is whimpering and whining? I mean it when I said it earlier. The enemy is on a really low budget. I mean, come on. If all you, the best you have is your mouth. I said the best weapon he has is his mouth, is lies. That's all he's got. He points around an empty gun with no bullets in it and tries to scare you. And so I talked about that, and then last week I, I talked a little bit about, a little bit more about who we were in Christ, and I want to recap just one thing from it. We're actually going to make a t-shirt out of this. <laughs> it's a true story. The reality that God dreamed about you, and then he created you, and, you're, and we are actually God's dream come true. I... I say this because I'm battling a mindset that is beaten into people of that God doesn't like you or God's disappointed with you or, or you're just this worthless individual. And we're battling to shift that culture. And it's happening. That's why the seats are getting more and more full around you. It's not because of necessarily some impressive sermon. It's because people are getting healthy and they're understanding who they are in Christ. And God dreamed about you. Think about it. There was no humans. He, he's like, okay, God has the most amazing imagination. Which tells you that imaginations aren't bad because he has one. As a free point. <laughs> Everybody's always like, well, I just got to cast down that imagination. Good thing God didn't do that or we wouldn't exist. He said, I'm going to imagine, and he imagines these human beings, and, and he molds them, and then he breathes into man, and, and all of a sudden, what he dreamed, he now has created. And he said, that's good. And of course, everyone knows that he, he made woman, and of course, he said, it's very good. <laughs> just, just throw that out there for the ladies. The guy's got a good. The woman got a very good. <laughs> and all the women are like, mic drop. <laughs> and so here we are, we're in the very, very beginning, and we're in the garden. Everything's really great. I mean, it's, I mean, it's good. They're walking around. They're having conversations with God. I mean, imagine just a walk through uh, the garden and just, just walking and talking, enjoying the presence of God. 
And, and then this was probably something that hit me, and one of the greatest is kind of like Jordan this morning with communion in the body. Sometimes there's revelations that hit you, just rock you. And as I was preparing last week, I, rem- I, I was reading that when Eve, when she fell, and remember, the, the, Satan came to her like a serpent and, and said, if you want to be like God, eat from the forbidden fruit. How many know that that fruit, it wasn't the actual fruit? <laughs> and everybody tends to think, well, that's what you get for wanting to be like God. But here's the reality. God created her and Adam in his image. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be like your dad. Where they got into trouble was when they believed the enemy when he said, you have to do something to be like God. And and striving got introduced, and striving is actually what released the curse. It wasn't wanting to be like that. That was perfectly fine. People were like, well, that happened to Satan too. Satan wasn't his kid. He was an angel. He was a created being. Big difference. Ephesians tells you that angels actually, I think it's Ephesians 1 or chapter 1 or chapter 2. Ephesians actually says that angels watch you to learn from you. Meaning, why? Because they're not in the lineage of Christ. They're created beings, your sons and daughters. My kids know things that happen in the house that none of you know, thankfully. <laughs> they see the house when it's dirty. Like, it's like, you know, like, I'm the clean freak, trust me. Like, people are coming over. I invite people over sometimes just to make sure my house stays clean. That's how bad I am. Like, truth be known, I'm having a hard time getting my house clean. I didn't do that to you guys, by the way. They came over last night. <laughs> I, I, but it did help. Um, sometimes I'll invite people over. I'm like, well, we got to clean the house. You know, no options now. We've already invited them. And, uh, you know, my kids see things that are just, how many of us are part of family? They're, they're, they're the family. You see, angels don't get to see sides of God that you get to see. I'm going to mess with your head a little bit because we sometimes can elevate angels, and angels actually carry assignments. It's powerful. We need that. <laughs> but you get to see sides of God that only the children get to see, and angels want to watch you to learn. So sometimes maybe there's angels in the room, not only because they're bringing something, but because they're learning from you. What if the room was filled with angels that you just can't see, and they're actually in school learning about God, because you're made in his image? You're really that great. I mean, really. And so here they are, and people think, well, Eve wanted to be like God, and she was cast down. If my son were to come up to me and say, Dad, I want to be like you, I'm not going to. No, son. What a terrible thing to say. I would melt me. Can you imagine that, that, that here's Eve and the devil was manipulative enough to take something that he knew she'd go for? You want, to be, you want to be like your dad? Yeah. Here's how you do it. You have to eat from that tree. He convinced her that she had to do something by works that was already given to her by grace. And then trouble came. And he's taken us, and I, I don't know how much I'll get through with this today, but 
I want to talk to you about Revelation because I think that we can actually be our worst enemy in the area of Revelation. Because when things happen that are so new, it scares us. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not what I always have learned. And I want to show you some biblical, here in a minute, some, some places that that is shown to us. But how many of you know that there's a, there's a progression we can see in the Bible where he's taken us from a slave of fear to a friend? But that wasn't far enough. And then we went from a friend to getting to be the child of God. There's this revelation that happens in the writings. I want to challenge you sometime, if you've never done this, get the chronological order of Paul's writings and watch as he gets revelation and writes them in every single one of the books, the letters, go deeper and deeper. And things that he says in the end, he would never said in the beginning because he didn't understand it. And here, he, and here we are, there's this revelation that's happening that you were this slave to fear. And then, then you got to come and be God's friend. And, but that wasn't good enough. God's like, I want you to be my child. But, but it's even better than that. You get to marry in. You see, my kids have access to me most of the day. How many of you know, those of you that are married, your spouse has access to you all day? How many of you are happily married? Because I'm teaching. How many of you want to be happily married? I should say, because you need to get that. Because some of you are like, Psh. marriage counseling in mass, right here. My wife can call me or text me at any moment, and pretty much, unless there is something really, really bad I'm dealing with, and it's like, hey, can you stop at the grocery store? My wife has access to me all the time. Now. Kids, there's this progression where God's taking us closer, and I'm not even going to get to it today because it even gets to the point where it's like I am in him and he is in me, and it gets so amazing how joint to the Father we are that our minds have a hard time even understanding it. But we're actually in this covenant relationship with Jesus. You see, I, I can't go into this every week because I'm always recapping it because there's always so many new people, so forgive me, we do it so often. But if you don't understand how covenants work, it's so hard to understand your Bible because your Bible is written through the lens of these different covenants. And so long story short, people read their Bible and they say, well, why in that scripture was God so bad? Why would he do that? And then we say he's always good but he just wiped the earth clean of people. If that's good, I don't want to see bad. And people get really, they don't, it's confusing because it's like, and the thing we don't understand is that there's been different covenants. There's been Davidic covenants. There's been Mosaic covenants. There's been these covenants throughout the Bible that man created all the way to the last one and they invited God into. But they invited him in on their terms. And they say, well, we want you in it, but we need you to also be the judge and we need you to be the disciplinary one. And God believes so strongly in covenants that when he would come into covenants, he had no option but to stay within the covenant they invited him in. He, it broke his heart, some of the things that he had to do inside of covenants. But it came to a point where God said, listen, this enough is enough. 
I got a great plan. I'm going to create a covenant between the Father, and I'm going to create a covenant between the Son. That way, we can't screw this one up. We don't even have a say in it, except we get to come in it by marriage. And so God says, I'm going to create this new covenant. Everything's going to change. It's so good. And it's going to be between the Father, and it's going to be between the Son. You just read about it in the communion scripture. He says, this blood is the new covenant. And so he was establishing on the cross that not only was it we have taken the cross and made it just our ticket to heaven, yay, but there's so much more. (laughs) Sound like a salesman, but there's so much more. (laughs) You get to live on earth happy every day. You don't have to just wait to die to be happy. And here's God. He says, so we've got this covenant. We're not letting man have a a say in creating this one because they've kind of messed up a few. I want it to be what our heart is. And our heart is always good. And so here's the deal. The covenant is between the Father and the Son. And then when we come into relationship, we call it giving our life to the Lord. The Bible says that you are the bride of Christ. (laughs) So here he is. He says, he says, This is a great covenant, and because now that you're married, you are the bride of Christ, just like my wife. I'm not like, well, Tiffany, you don't get to come on vacation. This one's for me. And she's like, no, 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 no. We're one, pal. And so, you know, what is Jesus's is yours. Now, I'm I'm really going to just go after this thing this morning a little bit because slaves have little access to a master. Children have access the majority of the time, but a spouse always has access. And with every, relation, with every revelation that we receive in the Father, so does, so does our, put it this way, every relationship that we get increases our level of intimacy with the Father and with Jesus. It's an ever-increasing intimacy with him. And the thing that you have to understand is that truth comes in layers. Paul wrote these 13 letters, and, and it's, it's crazy to watch the truth that unfolds as he writes these letters. You're reading them, and you're like, some of the stuff in the beginning, you get to the end, it's like, whoa, is that the same guy that just said that? Like, he's like all out like mystic at the end, like, like writing crazy stuff. That's like, whoa, I'm seated here and here. And in the very beginning, the progression of truth was incredible. How many know that we can't become more like Christ without repentance? It's an easy, it's not a trick question. We can't become more like Christ without repentance, but we also have to understand that repentance isn't just a salvation prayer. It's a part of our salvation process. Repentance is changing the way you think. One of the greatest tactics that the enemy uses again, and I, I take heat for a lot of this stuff. Somebody came up to me last week, really sweet, it was funny. She said, she was actually complimenting me. But she said, you know, you're going to get called a heretic for preaching that. I said, I don't care. As long as people are getting set free. You can't become more like Christ without changing the way you think. We get in trouble when we start making statements like, well, I'm never going to change the way I think on that. 
because you just said, I'm never going to allow repentance into my life in that area. I'm making you uncomfortable, I can tell. I'm not trying to. Therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Pause there. I was actually going to, I didn't get, didn't come together today. I was actually going to preach on women and ministry and all that. And that's kind of your core scripture right there. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to flesh. Male or female, pal? Girl power. Are we really stuck on that? <laughs> I can feel this. I'm like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Don't let us get stuck there. Christ doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at male or female. He looks at Christ in you. He's not looking at color. He's not looking at guy or gal. He's not looking at race. He's not looking at any of that. When he looks at you, the father actually sees his son. So the idea that we would judge things by how we look is ridiculous. Because actually God doesn't even see that. He sees Christ in you. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Everybody say, all things. Paul received this fresh revelation from the Lord, and now he isn't looking outward anymore. He's starting to, he's getting this, this truth that keeps building. And he said, God, God sees Christ in you. The, the idea of looking at flesh, that's no longer. And by the time we follow Paul's writings and we get into Ephesians, this, the letter from Paul, we begin to see things, these bombs being dropped, like <laughs> we need to get away from the elementary things like raising the dead. Paul has gotten to the point after writing all these letters and just soaking in the presence of the Lord that he got all the way to the point where he says in Ephesians, it's time that we grow up, guys, and stop just focusing on raising the dead and the beginner stuff. Which really lends the question, what in the world is he talking about? His message was all about who you are in Christ. He's saying, he he threw everything by the end there in his last letters. He threw everything into trying to teach you who you are in Christ. He said, we don't need to focus on this stuff anymore. Why? Because if you get who you really are, it comes natural. But I've got to get you to know who you are. Paul would send these letters ahead of time to these towns. Sometimes you'd be like, he would be so like speaking all these amazing things over them. And it's like, you know, I don't know that they really look the way you're writing that letter. But Paul had this reality that if I will put this out there, he was making declarations over these cities. He was making declarations over these towns that he was coming to, and he was saying these things over them that was like, when you heard it, whoa. He wasn't saying, behold, slaves of God. saying, behold, all you sons and all you daughters. 
And he began to speak identity into them. He got all the way to the point where here he is in prison. Right? He's in prison. He'd gotten so, where he talked about, we don't look at the flesh any longer. He was so strong in demonstrating that, that he's literally pinning out letters with chains on him saying, I'm free in Christ. He was so far that he was actually talking about the crown that they were going to receive when he's looking at being beheaded. He, he, he was so far into understanding that this is just a costume. That's it. That he could actually pin these letters of, I'm free in Christ, while he's got chains on his legs. Because it was such a reality to him. And we hear these phrases. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. But we hear these phrases like, don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. What a terrible phrase. I, I, I believe Paul would say, don't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Don't be so earthly minded. Paul was saying, I, I got my chains on. Yeah, they're going to behead me. Yeah. It's right in a way. Right in a way. Why? Because his mission was to the moment he died, I have to tell you who you are in Christ. I have to tell you who you are in Christ. I have to tell you who you are in Christ. I have to tell you who you are in Christ. What about raising the dead? We've been through that. I have to tell you who are in Christ. What about faith and stuff? That's in that verse too. He's like, we've been through that. I have to tell you who you are in Christ. Why do you think that the enemy's greatest tool and only tool is just to come to accuse you and to try to change the way you think about who you are in Christ? That's his that's tactic. We see, it with the, we see it with the book of John as well. Something interesting about John that I recently learned is the book of John was actually written decades after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And actually, they say that John is the, by far the most different book written from the other three. Because John, for decades, marinated in knowing who the Father was. And when he penned his, his book, it wasn't just about accounts. That it, I mean, it, it includes the accounts of what happened. But you'll notice some really interesting things about the book of John. He didn't even mention the ascension of Christ in his book. Did you know that? Could it be because he such, had such a reality that God's still with me? He's the only one of the Gospels that doesn't mention the ascension of Jesus. But he does talk all about how much the Father's with me and I am with him. And he stayed in it and he stewed in the presence and he just, he was soaked in it to the point where decades later he writes his book and it looks nothing like the others because there was a relationship aspect to it that when he wrote it, revelation over 20, 30 years came out in his book.
Do yourself the favor sometime and read the Gospels and pay attention to how John's written. He grew in the revelation of Christ. Paul grew in the revelation of Christ. With revelation, the message of the cross should get better and better and better and better and better. It is called the good news. Maybe if we're not presenting it as good, we just haven't had enough revelation of who he is. See, Jesus came to cast out fear. But people that haven't had a revelation of who he is tend to teach it back in. Because that's what someone taught them. And someone taught them. And someone taught them. I heard a statistic recently. I can't remember the exact numbers, so forgive me. Let's see if I can find it. But it talked about pastors and that how many pastors preach a message every Sunday and they're to the point of almost quitting because what they preach they actually don't even believe. Because they have to preach something because it's what they went to school for. It's what their denomination tells them they have to preach. But they're starting to have a revelation of, I don't understand what I'm even preaching because it doesn't match the goodness of who Christ is. I challenge you, anytime you ever have a thought that disagrees with if God is good, to dig into it. I challenge you to dig into those thoughts. People do it with me all the time. They send scriptures, and so often it's just a misunderstanding of how that scripture was written or the context in which it was written. And you tell them when they're like, I'm free. I'm serious. People hold on to things, the misunderstandings to the point it drills them into the ground. And you're like, oh, no, you don't understand. That's not a part of the covenant you live in. Why have you taken that weight on yourself? And people are like, oh, my word. I didn't know that. What would it look like if all God's kids are actually happy? I'm serious. What would it look like? Heaven takes, heaven takes joy very seriously. Heaven takes joy. It's kind of a joke. Heaven takes joy very seriously. It is a huge thing to heaven. First, says in um, 1 Corinthians, let's see here. I believe it's one. Hold on. I believe it's 1.30. Yeah. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I'm going to really mess with you now. But in him... All right, everybody say, I'm in, I'm in Christ. Okay, he became for us wisdom from God. This is what your scripture says. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Here's the beautiful thing that we, we, we got to understand is that he is your righteousness. Most of us get that. He's also your holiness and he's also your redemption. It's found in him. What the enemy wants to make us do is he actually, it's the same 
tactic he used against Eve when he tried to take something that was already hers and convince her you have to do something to get it. It's the same thing with this passage right here. He takes something when Christ says, good news, here's the deal. Your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, and your redemption, it's actually in me, not me. It's actually in Jesus. Are you still with me? Am I going too deep? Am I losing you? I got to hurry up. It's found in him. If you're trying to get something that he's already given you, and it's already, you can't get what he already has. You just get to be in him. And now his righteousness and his redemption and his holiness and his wisdom says, you get it. Because you're in me and I'm in you. But people teach us, if you want to be righteous, whoa. If you want to be righteous, get saved. If you're saved, you now have his righteousness. Let me close it out on these thoughts. We live our life according to what we perceive to be true. How many know perceptions everything? I mean that. Somebody can perceive that you're mad at them and you are never mad. And then all of a sudden this whole thing's going on. It's like, where did that start? I thought you were mad at me. I wasn't mad at you. I was hungry. <laughs> I'm sick. You know what I mean? It could be that simple. You're like, you know, some of you are like, amen, hungry. <laughs> because you perceived it, it became your reality. And then you begin to act from what you think is reality. So I think that, I mean, come on, this happens in every marriage. You, you know, I think my wife said that. So I'm going to operate from that reality. And then Tiffany's like, I never said that. And like, well, I thought you meant that. No, I didn't mean that. And vice versa, because what we perceive to be truth is what becomes our reality. Here's the thing. Paul knew this. And his life message would to be declare over every human being who we are in Christ. If you perceive, this is the joy is like whacking people. It's all right, I can keep going. If you perceive you are just a weak sinner, you will act like a weak sinner. And then you'll say, well, it's just what I always do. If you perceive... <laughs> Just keep it over there, right? I'm not going to get it. I'm preaching. <laughs> you know, I actually had something on my mind, and I'm, I'm afraid if I go there, everybody's going to get hit. Because I actually had this idea about when the Holy Spirit hit the church, and it says they acted like they were drunk. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. 
If you perceive that God is mad at you, you're going to act like God's mad at you. If you perceive that you are far from God, you're going to always act like you're far from God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit hits, and it's all right. He's just hitting right now. But AJ, you're not helping. I'm just going to dump a bunch on you and knock you out in a minute. <laughs> Hit him, God. <laughs> What's the point? It's in the place that we begin to know who we are in Christ that everything changes. Because your perception changes and your reality changes. And when we begin to identify that it's not always just about the who, but it's also about the where. You understand that we are in Christ as a location. That's where you are. Your authority is attached to where you are. So it's where you are. We are in Christ. We are seated in heavenly places. This is not just cute scriptures. This is, guys, this is what Paul was trying to get across and saying, you got to get this. You, you know how to raise the dead. We've talked about that stuff. But I'm going to keep drilling. You got to know who you are. You got to know who you are. You got to know who you are. And Jesus said when he was leaving at the ascension of Jesus, and it talked about, he said that you're no longer going to be orphans. When we stop being orphans, we can change the world. Orphans have a hard time telling the world how good their dad is. It's usually people, that's why inner healing is so important because people that have grown up and had issues and maybe they had a, well, so often Father God, we see him through the filter of our father on earth, our literal dad. That's why so many people can be so hard, but when you get set free and you begin to see him, how good he is, it's amazing. <laughs> Paul dedicated himself to this. Where do you want to go, Holy Spirit? First of all, I pray over your, your perception that God would come in and he would clean off your lenses and your reality will become the, the truth, who you are in Christ, where you're positioned, where you're seated. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. You are God's dream come true. I'm going to say that a lot. You are God's dream come true. He dreamed about you. He created you. And he said, you're great. You know, I know it's hard for some to go where we're, where we're, some of this stuff is things that you've been taught your whole life, that you're just a, 
just a sinner. But we're trying to correct that we're going to see ourselves how Christ sees us. And you actually, you're not going to see him say that because he thinks you're that great. Matter of fact, if you want to go back to the first mention, it's a powerful study tool, right? You want to go back to the first time God said anything about man? He said, you're good. So you want to get back before all the junk happened. He said, you're good. And women, he said, you're very good. He's that good. Amen? Yikes. I just feel like God's going to do something really crazy. Stand up. <laughs> I heard this reference to this movie, and I'm going to be careful because I don't know what the movie's about, so I haven't even seen the movie. So don't come shooting at me. But there's this... Um, I hope I can say this right. Don't take this offensive. I don't mean it wrong. But there was this, this movie, the Jackie Chan movie, I think, where he had a bit of a substance abuse in that movie. He had a drinking problem, but in this movie, every time that he drank too much, he would go into these amazing karate skills. <laughs> it's a true story. It's a true story. And, what's it called? Oh, y'all, y'all know it, so... <laughs> called Drunken Master, but it was this movie about whenever he would get drunk, and I had this is so bad sharing this from the pulpit, but that he would, he would have these crazy karate skills, and then when he'd come to, he like knocked everybody out, didn't know how he did it, and it was like, whoa, and I see this picture in the kingdom that when we get into this place with the joy of the Lord, yes, I'm relating the two, when we get into this place in the kingdom, the Bible has it, he says in Acts 2, he says, they're not drunk like you think. Right? So they're not drinking like you think. The Holy Spirit's hit them. And something happens that when we get into that place with the joy of the Lord, all of a sudden the things that you've been hitting your head on the wall saying, how am I going to overcome this? How am I going to overcome this? How am I going to overcome this? Joy hits you, and you're just like, you know, whoa, whoa, in the Spirit. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what happened? I just took down the stuff I've been staring at for the longest time. Why do you think that the enemy's goal is to rob you from your joy? So if he does, you're weak. But God says that strength brings, joy brings strength. And so right now, I want you to put your hands out in front of you. And I want to release over you. I feel like there is a joy. I feel like there is a strength. I feel like there is a trust. Matter of fact, that was a prophetic word for my son, Ethan, for this morning. He said, Dad, people in the room that haven't trusted God in a long time are going to find themselves wanting to trust God again. I like to ask him what he has for the sermon day and not tell him what I'm preaching about. It's prophetic activation. So in Jesus' name, first of all, I speak that the Lord would restore trust. That he would restore trust. Some of you that feel like, you, you feel like he let you down in this area. I want you, I want you to have an encounter. Stay right where you are, just right where you are. I want you to have an encounter with the Lord right now to see how he felt in the area that something happened. I want you to feel what he felt. 
Because sometimes we blame God on things. It was never his heart. And he gets stuck holding the the, the check on stuff sometimes that wasn't his responsibility. I'm doing this for a reason. Some of you, there's things that have happened that you felt like God did it. And God's saying, it broke my heart too. Now, let God begin to love and release love and joy into your heart right now. I'm skipping a bunch of steps, but I feel like it's all right. Let him begin to just release love and joy into your heart. How many of you have been taught, how many have struggled with not feeling worthy, you've struggled with feeling like I am just weak, and, and we, we, you know, we are made in our dad's image. And how many of you say, this is just, this is a journey I'm on. Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Raise your hand. Let's say, I'm going on this journey of learning how amazing I am in Christ. Come on. This is how we get to change the world. Right now, I pray over you that you would have a revelation just like Paul did throughout his writings, just like John did in the book of John, that you would be able to have a revelation of what God sees in you, what the Father sees in you, who you are in him. It's, it's not your failures, guys. It's not your, your past mess-ups. He sees Christ in you. If you've... If you've Come into a relationship with the Lord. He sees Christ in you. Everybody say this. Lord Jesus, make my perception match your perception. Say it again. Lord Jesus, make my perception match your perception. There you go. It's that easy. <laughs> Thank you, God.